You're listening to ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. You have a dream or even just an idea. You also have a successful practice, maybe an office, staff, and a payroll. Patience, long hours, more patience, but you still have a dream or a vision, something you know is worth developing. It might be related to medicine or it might not. How far can you go? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mark Plaster. Dr. Plaster might consider himself just a regular guy, an ED doc in Baltimore, who while working 15 years doing night shifts across the country, went to law school on the side while creating and publishing an emergency room journal called Emergency Physicians Monthly. It was financed initially from his own pocket, but today it's an extremely successful venture. That is the story of One Doctor's Vision. Today we're discussing alternate careers in medicine, pathways that have been taken off the beaten track. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today, Dr. Plaster. Oh, you're welcome. So tell us about your career in emergency medicine, because that alone didn't follow an ordinary pathway. How did you get started on a path that was different from what most doctors took in the early 80s? When I graduated from medical school in uh, 1979, emergency medicine was barely in its infancy. Uh, in fact, the first board exam was offered in 1979. So when I approached my uh, medical school advisor and said I wanted to do emergency medicine, they thought I was a little bit crazy because it was kind of pointless training at that point. But I went ahead and did training in emergency medicine in a residency, and that was the first year that they offered it. And I began practicing emergency medicine and was soon actually because I was one of the, I would say, one of the first out of the block that, you know, those first few years. I was able to become a, a director of, a, of an emergency department in Ohio and then eventually came out to Delaware and was a director of an emergency department there. Like many emergency physicians, I found myself caught in a political fight within a hospital at one point and ended up losing our, our jobs, and I became concerned that emergency medicine wasn't very stable, and uh, I thought I needed to have some sort of an alternative backup career and that's when I uh, encountered a, a physician friend of mine who was actually going to law school, and he had told me that I might have an opportunity to be a hospital administrator or move into like a vice president of medical affairs or something of that sort if I had a, a secondary degree like a law degree or a business degree. So you didn't just stop there. What did you do after that? Well, actually, I went to law school, and I started after finishing law school. I was contacted by the Bureau of National Affairs down in Washington and asked to be the editor of a publication called Emergency Department Law, and it was a little newsletter, probably only a few hundred subscribers, to be honest, but I got a chance then to start writing, and I wrote quite a bit. Every two weeks, I was publishing and doing case reviews, and it was the first time I had had an opportunity to really do any serious writing since college, and I found that I really enjoyed it, being on the forefront of news developments and such. And I proposed to the publishers to start a publication that was more news-oriented, practice-oriented in emergency medicine. And they didn't think that it fit within the genre of what they wanted to do. And so I thought, well, I think I'll just do this myself. And so I launched a publication called Atlantic Search Report, which was just published out of my basement, a little the first round of computers, dot matrix printer. My kids helped me fold these things and send them out in, in a letter format. And I sent them out to about 1,500 colleagues along the Mid-Atlantic, and, and lo and behold, people actually started reading it and 
A few years later, we changed the title to Emergency Physicians Monthly, and it became a, actually a tabloid magazine, a tabloid-sized magazine, like a newspaper. But you were doing all this in addition to your shifts in the ER, correct? <laughs> well, in fact, when I first started doing it, I, I had to take on additional shifts because th- there wasn't any compensation. The ads, we were selling classified ads for $23 a piece. And uh, certainly $23 wasn't enough to pay the bills for postage, let alone printing, and as I started to have to get help and, and such. So in those first few years, my wife didn't know it, but I was basically going deep into debt to try to pay for this thing. But it was so much fun writing that I didn't mind working the extra shifts and soaking up some of the costs of doing it to to launch it, but eventually turned around and became somewhat profitable. One of the benefits of ER, you look at your bills for the month and you calculate the number of shifts you need. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right. So tell us a little about today and the day-to-day operations. Well, Emergency Physicians Monthly now goes out to 28,000 physicians nationwide, goes to every practicing emergency physician. And I have a staff of people here. I live in Annapolis, Maryland now, and I have an editor who just happens to be my son, which is a blessing. He went to Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern, so I hired him. I wouldn't have been able to hire somebody like that otherwise, but I, more than anything, I browbeat him into coming back and working for me. And we have a, an office staff that puts together uh, all the articles and contacts the, the other writers. We have a whole group of writers across the country who are academics, practicing clinicians, other medical writers who contribute pieces to it. And it's all assembled electronically and and then forwarded to printing companies down in Tennessee. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Mark Plaster, an ED physician who practices in Baltimore, Maryland, and we're discussing alternate pathways in medicine, the other roads that have been taken. So what do you see as your career course as it pertains to publishing? Well, the whole goal of Emergency Physicians Monthly was to try to establish an independent forum for emergency physicians. Publications are owned, for the most part, by profit-making ventures, large publishing houses who may own a hundred or more titles and are then many times owned by larger conglomerate multinational publishing houses. And, and I, I really didn't feel that they had our specialty's best interest at heart. They were more just in profit ventures. And so I felt that this was an opportunity for a publication to be homegrown from within the specialty to address unique issues that were very close to us that you wouldn't know if you weren't a practicing clinician inside the specialty. And so I felt that we had an opportunity to to speak to that. And as a result of that, we've been very successful at it, but it has also opened other doors as far as educational forums. We're co-sponsoring some educational things. We have a blog that uh, physicians can log on to and discuss topics with other emergency physicians in a real honest, open kind of forum other writing and other ventures like that that are within emergency medicine is where I see it going. Can you tell us uh, an interesting story that you may have published in Emergency Physicians Monthly? My initial interest in emergency medicine was engendered when I, my senior year of medical school, when things were, we were the poorest. My wife and I were both giving plasma twice a week to try to, uh, to make ends meet. We were eating beans and spaghetti with no meat and that sort of thing, and I heard about the opportunity for medical students to go down and work in an emergency department in a 
nearby rural hospital. And I really can't tell you where it is, and you'll see why. So I, I spoke with the hospital administrator, and he told me that I would be hired as a nurse technician. And uh, I thought, that sounds like fun. I don't qualify for anything else. So when I showed up to, to the emergency department, I found out that the, as a nurse technician, I was Dr. Plaster, and I was the only doctor in the emergency department. And the local physicians would sign stacks of blank prescription pads and leave them in the call room. And I would see the patients and fill out the, uh, the prescriptions for them, do whatever needed to be done, and call them only if I had to, and certainly not after 11 o'clock. And so this hospital was, in essence, running their ER with uh, fourth-year medical students. And uh, it was my first opportunity to actually actually see patients independently. And my very first patient was one that uh, rolled in the door and, and family was with the patient. Uh, they were brought in by an ambulance, which back in those days was a hearse. And the family was crying and carrying on. And, and I didn't really even look at the lady who came by on the, on the gurney. Instead, I had just finished my psychiatry block and I decided I would reassure these folks. And I told them, I said, you know, she's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be fine. I held her hand for a few minutes, you know. I said, let me go in and see her. And I'll find out what's going on, and I'll, I'll come back out and I'll talk to you. But, but don't worry, just sit down right here, and I'll be right back. And I walked in the room, and everybody that was standing in there, they had heard the conversation. And walked in the room, and the nurses were standing there. The two men who brought her in were standing there. And I looked at this woman, and she was stone-cold dead. And it was like I was the only one in the room that didn't know she was dead before going in there. And I thought, I can't turn around and walk right back out there and tell the family that, that I don't even know whether a person's dead or alive. So I had the staff stand there, and after about three minutes, I told the nurse to go out and uh, to tell the family that she wasn't doing as well as I thought. And, and about uh, three minutes later, I, I sent another nurse out, and I said to tell them that she's doing very badly and we're not so sure we can save her. And finally, I went out and I broke the news to the family that their loved one had passed away. And then what was odd was they all looked at me and, and said, well, we thought she was dead when we brought her here. But, you know, there's a grain of truth in that because even, you know, when I was practicing, sometimes it was better to break the news gently to the family, but I guess the family uh, were breaking it gently to you. As it turned out, I was the last to know. And, and so I tell my medical students and residents who are coming through, the very first lesson you have to learn is, as a physician is dead or not dead. And then after that, it's sick or not sick. We only have so much time here, and I could talk to you forever, but y you have to get in and tell us about your signature column, Night Shift. How did it develop? After working 25 years, actually, in the emergency department, a good portion of the last 15 years of it at, at night, my wife had heard a, a lot of ex you know stories every morning coming home, what happened to you last night, honey, those sorts of things. And what emerged was a collage of incidents, some of them humorous, some of them heartbreaking, stories that I told to sort of work out my own questions and stresses and whatnot related to my practice. And my wife said, you know, you really need to write those down and put one of those in the newspaper. I was writing the Atlantic Search Report at the time. And um, so I wrote one of those stories down and put it like in the back or someplace I thought I was embarrassed, you know, to write a human interest story. And then later I, I talked to a physician who, who told me, he, he said, you know, at 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm completely exhausted, I sit down with a cold cup of coffee and a stale donut, and I read your column, and I feel like somebody's really there with me. And suddenly it dawned on me that my experience was not a whole lot different from anybody else's experience and that a lot of people really 
really understood it, and it had been theirs. So I just started telling the stories, and they're slightly fictionalized. Some of them are so embarrassing or so acutely true that you have to change the names and the places uh, to protect the innocent, so to speak. And I've told those stories now for, for eight years, and it, it became sort of the signature of Emergency Physicians Monthly to be a paper that was real, written by real people who actually practiced emergency medicine in the trenches, the pit docks, so to speak. And that's been the signature of Emergency Physicians Monthly ever since, is the kind of personal relevance. Can you just give us a website, perhaps, for anybody who uh, wants to hear more? Go to epmonthly.com. epmonthly.com. Thank you so much, Dr. Plaster. It's been an absolute pleasure. We've been discussing alternate careers on the pathway of medicine. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions on this or any segment, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you, everybody, for listening.